The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Well, I saw a car the other day. This made me turn my head. A little tiny SUV Cadillac, the bumper red. You see a caddy. Should be big and wide And roomy as you please You can almost live inside The need for your squeeze That ain't no Cadillac Don't try to fool me Give me them big wide wheels And I'll be happy as can be That ain't no Cadillac It's just too small Show me a sedan to bear Show me Baby, show me nothing at all
everybody this is the tom sumner program i guess this hour is uh, a veteran british investigative journalist best known for his inquiries into the drug industry medicine and social issues for the sunday times of london among his uh, many awards he was twice named the uk's specialist reporter of the year and in 2016 he was made doctor of letters by york st john university He has a uh, new book out called The Doctor Who Fooled the World, Science, Deception, and the War on Vaccines by Brian Deere. And Brian joins me by phone. Brian, welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Tom. Tell me about the war on vaccines. Um, You you sort of attach it to an individual, a specific doctor. 
Yes. Uh, the, I mean, there have been controversies about vaccines going back to ancient China and India, but uh, the, and there were big controversies in the 19th century and more in the 1970s and 1980s. But the modern phenomenon of anti-vaccine campaigning really dates back to a doctor called Andrew Wakefield, who was uh, working at a, a London medical school who in February 1998 published a, a study, a paper as they call them, in the Lancet Medical Journal, which is, I guess, the world's number two general medical journal, uh, proposing uh, that he'd found evidence of a link between the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine, the MMR vaccine, and uh, autism. And um, he published a paper uh, and it, it set off a huge controversy in the United Kingdom because at face value, what this paper seemed to suggest was that there were there was a hospital, yes, the hospital did exist, where the where a series of families turned up, parents of twelve children turned up, and they they said that their child was developing perfectly normally. And in uh, two out of three of these uh, cases, the parents said that, the, that they'd received their MMR vaccine and within 14 days, very specifically within 14 days, these children had shown the first signs of autism. And Wakefield claimed in this paper also that he'd discovered a new syndrome, as he called it, of a, a disease which was included autism and uh, and other features particularly uh, bowel features because he was working in a he was a gastroenterologist and um and this uh, this uh, paper was the focus for uh, a press conference that was called at the hospital of the medical school where he called for the suspension of the MMR vaccine and set off this huge controversy in the UK with falling immunization rates because parents were frightened, outbreaks of disease, particularly measles. And he then exported that from the UK to the United States and the rest of the world. And, um, you know, at face value, uh, it, 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 the, the paper was saying that, that there was, was potentially here the first snapshot of a potentially hidden epidemic of catastrophic injuries that could be affecting children all over the world, but less vigilant doctors hadn't noticed, hadn't spotted it. So it was a justifiable thing for the media to be concerned about. And then I came along and um, found that this paper uh, was not what it appeared to be. And um, it's, uh, it's what many... Uh, medical scientists now regard to be the most damaging scientific fraud in 100 years. Well, and vaccination itself is uh, a little peculiar on its face um, because in its in its sort of most simplistic form, you take a little bit of the disease, inject somebody with it, and it uh, helps them build up antibodies against the disease. <laughs> and that 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 sounds peculiar to people. So anything that sounds suspicious about vaccinations, and of course, as you well know, there are all kinds of wild things about the government putting chips into the vaccination and injecting us with these things to track us and all of that kind of stuff. But at the time of this, 
It, it strikes me that, number one, it's unusual for doctors to hold a press conference with regard to, to yes. some discovery yes. or paper that they're uh, publishing. And the other is that his claim came at a time when lots of things were starting to be diagnosed that never had been before. Yes, that's so, right. Yeah. So autism was statistically going up as doctors got better yeah. at diagnosing yeah. it and as they included more things in this sort of world of spectrum disorders. And so now yeah, all yeah, of a sudden yeah. you've got yeah. lots more cases of uh, autism and this guy saying he knows what's causing it. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. So that was the that was the moment, and there were all the, this constellation of uh, circumstances had come together, and he made full use of them. And then he was stopped. Why didn't people's apprehension about the vaccines stop? Well, uh, in the UK, uh, there was initially tremendous progress. When I published my first stories from that point on, which this was in uh, my first stories appeared in uh, February 2004. Uh, so that was six years after the, the paper was uh, original Wakefield paper was published. The vaccination rates with MMR recovered fully. They fully recovered in the years that followed that paper and uh, my, my first publications and, and subsequent stories that I wrote completely recovered. But what he was able to do was to firstly move to the United States and in the United States to spend his whole time. He was a full-time campaigner. And the story that he told was not the truth of the matter, um, but a whole fictitious uh, story about how he'd been persecuted by the drug industry, which, to my knowledge, actually decided they weren't going to go after him because the, 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 the controversy that, uh, that surfaced in the UK was uh, what was initially focused on a lawsuit and that uh, he was... Uh, he was involved in that, and the, in that lawsuit, the drug industry chose not to go after him. And um, so he, he, but he alleges it's a conspiracy by the drug industry, by government, who he claimed were trying to cover up injuries to children that they'd known about. Rupert Murdoch, the media mogul, and um, you know whoever else, and that uh, he presented himself as the victim. More with investigative journalist and author Brian Deer. Straight Hello, up. darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters.
The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More with investigative journalist and author Brian Deere straight ahead. The thing about conspiracy theories is that, that they that false information, in fact, it's been research on this, false information, incredible outlandish claims have an ability to travel and to be believed in a way that truth um, often isn't. And this is particularly true of the world we live in now with all this social media of Facebook and YouTube and websites and what have you, that, um, you know, anybody and their dog can start putting out information and it can be wildly false. But there are 
going to be susceptibles within this market of misinformation who take it up and amplify it. But um, to uh, to tell, I mean, I probably ought to, to say what it was that was wrong with his paper to give you give you some sense of um, what he did. Yeah, please. Two years before that paper was published, he'd been hired by a lawyer to launch an attack on the MMR vaccine. And they'd gone and got, uh, made a grant application to get money to do research that was, was well, actually was only ever going to have one outcome. So he was a hired gun. He wasn't an independent researcher as he appeared to be. He had this monstrous conflict of interest because he was being paid at hourly rates large amounts of money ultimately he walked away with it in modern in present currency translated to u.s dollars it's probably about three quarters of a million dollars he was paid hourly rates so uh, but if the lawsuit didn't take place or if it was truncated or failed that income stream would halt so so that was a monstrous conflict of interest he had but then the children there were 12 children in the study they weren't just patients who were coming to a bowel clinic or anything like that they were actually the children of people who had claims in that lawsuit who wanted to take part in that lawsuit who'd been referred to him by an anti-vaccine group so they were bound to blame the vaccine when they came to the hospital this wasn't this wasn't a finding it was part of his methodology and then finally when no link was found in his research between MMR and autism, as he was contracted to find. He altered diagnoses. He altered children's histories and misrepresented children's histories. He misreported pathology findings and covered up the children's real issues, the real medical issues they had, in order to create the appearance of having discovered a new medical syndrome um, if you like a fingerprint of vaccine damage in order to get this lawsuit going. So the whole thing was um, completely outrageous from the start. And and what caused him to uh, ultimately move to the United States? Was it Americans' uh, love of uh, <laughs> conspiracy theories? <laughs> well, initially it was because before I'd started work on this subject, his university, he'd... The, the medical school where he worked was absorbed. It was merged into a, a very prestigious university, University College London, hugely wealthy, one of the top universities in the world. And um, they asked him, they summoned him to the provost and pre president's office. And the provost and president of the university asked him uh, to carry out a, a replication study, not with 12 children, but with 150 children, which he said he'd got, and uh, to do the work properly, an absolute gold standard study that would be mirrored at two external sites so as to ensure accuracy and publishing speed and what have you. It was a scientist, a true scientist gift of a lifetime because the university said it would help him, they would find money for him to do it and so on and so forth. He refused to do it. He refused to replicate and to prove his own claims, even though the public and parents were being frightened witless whenever it was time for a child to be vaccinated. There was this public uproar. He refused to do it, claiming that this infringed his academic freedom. And once he'd done that, they were determined to get him out. He had no future there. 
uh, one one senior manager said I could have made him work in a cupboard. You know, they were out to get rid of him. And so he resigned. He was paid a large amount of money to leave. And he moved to the United States to continue his campaign and really to migrate the concern over the vaccine safety to, to America. And that's what he did. And the, th- the thing about this, um, are there... Are there other examples that you're aware of of um, people putting across uh, dubious scientific claims? And, and to what degree has that contributed to where we find ourselves today with, uh, with climate deniers and, and people doubting the word of uh, doctors and scientists in general? Well, I, I, one of the things I say in, in the Doctor Who fooled the world is if if he could if he could do what he did, and I and I show you what he did over not just at that hospital, but after he got to America and what he did there. Who else is doing what in the hospitals and laboratories that we we may look to for our lives? And uh, it's my firm belief, having having carried out medical and pharmaceutical related investigations for. Well, more than 30 years, uh, it's my conviction that, the, that, that, that misconduct of this kind and fraud of this kind, con, kind is extremely common, but that the biomedical journals who publish this stuff don't want to investigate it. It's very expensive and time-consuming to investigate. They don't want to do that. What they want to do is to rely on this thing that a lot of people have heard of, peer review. Oh, we've got peer review. Right. And all peer review is that they, set, they send, a, they send a, a, a paper they're thinking of publishing off to somebody to give it a quick read. And it's, it's a test of superficial plausibility. It's not a test of truth. Um, so they prefer that and they prefer reproducibility. So if they publish a study that is complete garbage because it's been made up, then that'll that'll be okay because sooner or later somebody else will come along with another study that puts the record straight and the journals don't have to pay for either of them. And the classic example was actually in this, this, um, this coronavirus issue because back in June, the New England Journal of Medicine, which is immensely prestigious, immensely difficult to get a paper published by, world's number one general medical journal, and the Lancet, the number two general medical journal, most people would would uh, would think, um, both retracted papers on treatments and health co- outcomes uh, in the in hospitals uh, among coronavirus patients, and uh, they the, the, this paper claimed to be reporting on data from hundreds of hospitals, thousands of patients, and then along came three journalists from the Guardian newspaper, one in Australia, one in the UK, and one in the United States. And they set about Googling and looking online and looking into the background of the company that lay behind all this data, the, the authors of the paper, and they discovered the thing was, to, to put it bluntly, a crock of shit. And um, the, both journals retracted the papers. Again, as with uh, the, the example of my own investigation, based on the work of journalists not based on the work of the medical establishment or the scientific community. They don't want to hear about this. They don't want to hear about um, extra scrutiny, extra regulation of ex- uh, extra trust 
uh, extra confidence in the scientific progress. They don't want to process. They don't want to hear about that. And in fact, just a just a week back, uh, I uh, I submitted a a, a a paper where I put forward my proposals for reform that would give the public more confidence in these very difficult times in the integrity of uh, medical research. And the journal who'd invited me to write the piece refused to print it. And the, the, I'd made almost the same case about four or five years ago when the top uh, general science journal, Nature, had also invited me to write a piece, and they wouldn't print it. They just do not want the kind of things that I would say that are needed to be ventilated and discussed. They just don't want to hear it because it would cost them money and put them to all kinds of inconvenience, and they're, they're happy with the way things are. And, and that was that was going to be my question, Brian. Why wouldn't it be worth the money to defend their their standards and their credibility? Oh, because uh, research misconduct. Oh, it just takes forever. You know, it's 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 so time consuming, and then the people you're investigating might sue you. I've been sued twice unsuccessfully. Uh, it's just a lot of bother that they don't want. It brings it brings disrepute on the journal for having published it in the first place. The Lancet uh, tried to destroy my investigation, tried to sabotage it. Rather than uh, investigate what I was uh, telling them, they, they attempted to discredit me. Um, so they don't want to hear these things, and they don't want to. They do not want to get particularly involved in anything expensive. See, biomedical journals, things like um, many of them, most of, most medical journals and, and medical science journals are published by a very small group of very big corporations who make enormous profits on the turnover they uh, they pass uh, through their books. And um, they don't they don't want to get involved in uh, allegations of research fraud or people cutting corners and all that kind of stuff. Because my proposal, I mean, what they tend to do is usually when their editors of those journals retire, they then say, "Oh, well, I actually think that research fraud ought to be a criminal offence," and uh, which is one of my proposals. It should be. I mean, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's akin to theft. Um, to knowingly submit false information for publication in medical journals. That's one of the things that I would like to see. Another thing that I would like to see is spot checks of laboratory, laboratories. Um, I would like to see people who are carrying out life or death research subject to the same scrutiny that restaurants generally are. They are in the UK. I'm not entirely sure of the regulatory regime in the United States. But uh, in the UK, if you run a restaurant, you could be subject to a, an unannounced spot check by uh, people checking whether your, your kitchens are hygienic at any time. And I said this in, in, uh, in my contribution to Nature, and they said, you can't say that. This is the house magazine of science. You can't uh, compare scientists with restaurant managers. And I thought, well, who would assume that scientists are necessarily more honest than restaurant managers? Where does that come from? So that's another one of my proposals. And the third one of my proposals, it would be that um, anyone who submits uh, research to a medical journal should be in a position where they accept that if asked, and they probably wouldn't be very often, if, if asked, they were prepared to 
take part in a recorded interview with an editor from the journal and an, and an expert in their field, the, fe the field that the paper is all about, about their methods, the data, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a forensically certain record, same kind of thing the police would do or the FBI would do. You get a forensically certain record of what this person is saying about this paper. And I think that should be done as another... Um, way of bringing transparency and reassurance to the public that uh, that what's appearing in medical science journals is actually uh, truthful not just credit not just credible and plausible but truthful and that's a that's a different test yeah that is a different test um this andrew wakefield has been described as uh Let's see, where's, where's the phrase I saw just a moment ago? The so-called father of the anti-vaccine movement. And through your work, that drove him to the United States. Did, did anybody challenge him here? They, they must have challenged him because I know I've talked to doctors recently and brought up that, that um, alleged connection between uh, vaccines and autism and and uh, they're very quick to say oh that's been disproven yeah but they're, they're just basing it on my work they they contributed nothing to it and in fact there's one there's one um vaccine developer who seems to to pop up everywhere uh who's just written a a review of my book in science where he basically uh, uh he doesn't quite trash it but he he talks it all down and sort of says, well, this is all an old story. This has all been told. What he doesn't say is that he took all my work as it was published piece by piece in in uh, the Sunday Times and uh, and elsewhere and put it into his own books and held it out as being his own. So there's this person who's relying on my work because the medical establishment, the scientific community wouldn't do anything about it. And at the same time, he kind of tries to push me to the uh, to the edges of it all. But yeah, they're, they're all saying these things now, but it, they weren't saying that when the paper appeared. The criticisms of the paper at the time were, oh, well, there were only 12 children, and 12 children, that's not enough to take any notice of that. This has all been dreamt up by the media. This has all been, this has all been blown up. Um, but the paper was uh, the paper was uh, a small study, and uh, you can't make any generalisations about it. Well, that just doesn't play. And and I think on reflection, they know the medical establishment, the scientific community, know it doesn't play because autism itself was first classically described, in fact, from Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, on eleven children. AIDS, what came to be known as AIDS, was first described on the cases of five gay men in Los Angeles. Would anybody say those, those things should never have been reported and shouldn't have been taken seriously? We shouldn't have been worried about the first uh, signals that we were getting about AIDS in the 1980s because it was only a, a small, relatively small number of people. Um, so they know that, that, uh, that the, 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 crit the criticisms they had of the Wakefield paper at the time weren't valid they were trivial uh, but they they couldn't this is the thing about it they couldn't believe that the that, that the paper would be fraudulent they couldn't believe that, that they they just couldn't accept that a chap you know i think that's the way they kind of look at it particularly in the uk a chap would do such a thing 
because that would have been the only other explanation. But when I looked at that paper and I looked down it and I saw this table and it said autism, 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 MMR, 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 and then this time link of 14 days, I thought that was done for a lawsuit. But I don't want to get involved in it because I don't want to do something about another vaccine. I wanted to do something else. But then my editor said to me, look, you know, go and look at the... Um, Go and look at MMR. And the first thing I did was to go and interview a mother whose child was enrolled in Wakefield Research. And the story she told me was nothing like the way it was reported in, in his paper. And from that, I knew that this was something that ought to be investigated. Now, you debunked his uh, his paper, and you've written extensively about it, but how did your your coverage of that and your investigation into that turn into a book? Well, what really was the turning point, I think, was that um, I'd been the subject of massive abuse from anti-vaccine campaigners, and I'd uh, attended the General Medical Council hearing into Wakefield's misconduct, which went on for 217 days. And uh, I said things outside the hearing because Wakefield said these children had a new inflammatory bowel disease. And we'd already in the hearing heard the evidence on that. And these children didn't have bowel disease. So I said, well, these children didn't have bowel disease. I said this to these protesters outside. And I said, well, you should come into the hearing and listen to it. And uh, somebody made a, a YouTube video that was seen by 150,000 people by the last time I saw it. They, they tried to make me look like a fool or a liar. Um, and, um, and what happened was one of the other mothers whose child was enrolled in the research uh, came forward and said, like, I wanted to talk to you about this over the years. And she turned over to me more than 100 documents, the diaries of what her child went through in the hospital, uh, minutes of phone conversations with Wakefield, letters to his lawyers where she was telling them that the paper was untrue, emails to me saying this paper is, uh, I can, she said, I can see this paper is fraudulent from what was written about my child. So it was, it was, it was that, because not only did it provide me with solid ammunition fact that uh, Wakeful wasn't able to dispute but also it added the opportunity to tell the story the heartbreaking story of parents who who see their child they bring into the world the most precious thing in life and they see their child experience a, a regression a change where they may lose skills they may stop speaking they may start looking at their fingers obsessively and parents go on a, what I call a desperate quest for answers and solutions and I think when she came to me and turned over to me all this stuff and met me and we talked about her experience uh, I knew that I had to put this into the public domain as, as a book because you need to see the whole story because it's not a book where I hold forth this is not what Tom Wolfe called the uh, um, educated gentleman with a seat in the grandstand, but it was um, it was a, a narrative. It was uh, it was the story of the real people and the specific facts of how this thing unfolded. And people say to me, this book reads like a thriller, and I suppose it does. I suppose it does because 
with each, as each chapter passes, the thing becomes more and more extraordinary, more and more shocking as to what can go on in medical research. Well, Brian, unfortunately, we've we've come to the end of our time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and uh, your work, past, present, and future, including uh, this book. Um, do you have a website? Yes, uh, BrianDeer.com. Uh, you'll find me on Google. Just put my name, Brian Deer, into Google. Or you can go straight to Amazon and uh, put my name in, and you can uh, find where my book is. And um, it's available now, and, um, and I think it's a story that people will find interesting. It's, it's uh, popular science, it's true crime, and, um, you know, it's the story of how we got from there to here. And if people want to take decisions about uh, their vaccination status in the face of, of the COVID outbreak or their families, then this is a, a good place to understand the anti-vaccine movement. Well, Brian, your work is uh, is amazing, and I appreciate the time that you've spent with me. Thank you so much. Well, thank you a lot, Tom. Take care. That was uh, veteran British investigative journalist uh, Brian Deere. His new book is called The Doctor Who Fooled the World, Science, Deception, and the War on Vaccines. And uh, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight <music> Thank you for calling North Shore Doc. Due to the current stay-home order, we are experiencing longer-than-normal delays. Your patience is appreciated. Thank you. North Shore Doc. Just say you're my husband. Okay, okay, I will. Hello? Hi, I, I, uh, I need to get my boat in before the weekend for Memorial Day. You probably need my name. It's Dr. Mark Mallory. Dr. Well, Doctor, we are too backed up right now, so there's no chance that can happen this weekend. Just say you're my husband, you little bitch. Uh, okay, well, what if I was to tell you that I may just happen to be the husband of the governor? Would that make a difference? No. The husband of Governor Gretchen Whitmer? Does that name ring a bell? Yes, sir. So now, how soon can you get my boat in? Not this weekend, sir. You do realize I am known as Michigan's first gentleman, don't you? Okay. That means nothing to you? Not really, sir. You tell him to get our boat in the water or I'll shut down all of Traverse City so fast his head will spin. Did you hear that? My wife is not playing games here. We want our boat in the water this weekend. Do you understand? I understand, sir. But there's no chance that can happen this weekend. He won't let us. What do we do? <sighs> Just hang up. Uh, uh, actually, I was just joking. Prank caller, prank caller, baba booey, baba booey. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. 
Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. 
Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I'll tell you a story about my boss, Sheldon Leonard. Sheldon Leonard, uh, this, is a, this is a true story. Sheldon Leonard is a man that hired me for high spy. He brought me up to his office. He said, I want you to be a spy. I said, okay. So we signed a contract and the series was on. was a hit. I don't complicate anything, man. <laughs> so uh, Sheldon was married a long time ago, probably before there was hair. He's an old bugger. He's, a, he's really old, Duke. And uh, he took his wife on a honeymoon up to Niagara Falls. And this was when Niagara Falls was brand new. And they didn't even give you a raincoat or nothing. You know, he just stood there, you got wet, and you came down, you smiled at each other, you know. And he said, he tells this story. He said, it was very cold that day, but the following morning, the sun came out and it shone brightly. And the temperature went up to 99. So I said to my bride, bride, why don't we take a little dip in the wonderful lake? And his bride looked at us, yes, shall. Yeah, they talk alike. I believe we should. And he did. Went forth, put on his bathing suit, his beautiful body which has since gone bad on him. <laughs> and he went stepping with his little 4'11 wife. Frankie's beautiful. She's just 4'11. She's built like regular little wife. <laughs> and he went walking, got to the edge of the lake, and it was 99 out. And he said, my dear, I believe I shall take a plunge. That's the way they used to talk in the old days, you know. They, you had to tell your wife everything you were going to do, you know, even if she was standing there looking at you, you know. My dear, I believe I will walk to this board. Do it, do it. She said, are you with me? She said, yes, Sheldon, I'm with you. And he went up, and he hit the diving board. <laughs> and he did soar into the air. Up, up, up. Forming... A great swan dive. Yes. <laughs> now, we will pause a second. Leave our hero stranded in the air. We'll hold him. Don't worry about it. He won't drop. He's still up there. And we will say, he is about to plunge into a what? Lake. Uh-huh. And how do you get lake water? Well, usually what happens is the water runs down from the mountain. Yes, and how do you get it? Maybe the snow will melt. Right. Does it ever really get hot? No. And so he is about to dive into what? Twelve degrees. Now we pick up our hero at the peak of his swan. And he is now descending and he's coming down and boosh, he hit the water. And immediately he said, my body turned into a giant goose pimple. And as I submerged, my eyes would not close. 
because they too wanted to know what had hit them. My body began to drop into a ball. I touched bottom, thank goodness, and pushed up. And as my head broke through the water, I was facing my wife about 30 feet away from her. And she stood there smiling. And I said to myself, why should I tell her? So I gathered every inch, every muscle, and I smiled. And I said to her, come on in, dear. The water's fine. And she hit the board and made a great swan. And when she came down, the tips of her fingers touched the water. And she made one of the greatest hand walks across the lake any man has ever seen and stood on the other side and yelled great obscenities to me. So that's Sheldon's play. Thank you. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. second you'd be back to bother me oh no walk out that door just turn around because you're not welcome on the deck of the bridge anymore weren't you the one that tried to murder my crew god you bloodsucker you managed to kill just about everyone else but like a poor marshal you keep missing the target you're gonna have to come down here Tom. you're gonna have to come down here it took all the strength i had not to fall apart the bridge was smashed, the computer's inoperable. But I don't believe in the no-win situation. So walk out the door. Just turn around now, because you're not welcome anymore. Weren't you the one that tried to hurt me with your lies? Do you think I'd crumble? Do you think I'd lay down and die? Oh no, not I. I will survive. As long as I know how to love, I know I'll stay alive. But I've got all my life to live, but I've got all my love to give. I will survive. I will survive. Come I will survive. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom 
That was, of course, William Shatner with Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive in our Schlocktober offering for the day, beginning and ending the show with uh, that, and it's brand new to uh, Schlocktober 2020, and we have a whole bunch of uh, new horrible recordings to play for Schlocktober. While everybody else is celebrating Rocktober and Oktoberfest and all the different things that people will try to celebrate in the new normal we are back with schlocktober 2020 and all new odd and horrible recordings or performances of songs often by celebrities you may love the celebrity you may love the song but not necessarily the two together want to say thanks to all my guests today what a great show and it just went flying by uh brian deer of course this uh, last hour was uh a real treat uh, calling from the UK and then uh, authors Jerry Spieler and Rick Kaplowitz talking about uh, San Francisco values and uh, also talking about Kamala Harris and uh, we started out today with um, the uh, author of Healthcare from the Trenches a doctor in the trenches himself Alejandro Badia and I want to say thanks to him as well. Coming up tomorrow, we got a great show, so be sure and join us uh, at 9 o'clock for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program when I will talk with author Rod Sadler, um, who has written a book called Killing Women, the true story of serial killer Don Miller's Reign of Terror. And then we'll follow that up with a visit with the... uh, owner of the new Flint United basketball team in the city of Flint. Kevin Mays will be with us, plus musical guests, uh, or musical guest rather, Anthony Lee from the Mercurials, and we'll hear some music from them as as well. They're smoking George Winters, tickling the ivories, let me know it's time to get out of here and head on down to the the living room, head on down the hall to the living room. But uh, also tomorrow we'll uh, be presenting another installment of Schlocktober to open and close the show. So be sure and tune in. And uh, in the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.